1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now we're starting in the middle of this section here, or the end of chapter 1. But if you were with us last time we were together, we asked this question. Is this wrath to come that we're delivered from, just speaking about God's wrath for eternity in our salvation that we're spared from through being saved or we saved from God's wrath for eternity? Or is he talking about the earthly wrath of God to come during the tribulation period? Or is he talking about both? Now, the answer is yes, it is both. But I believe that in the context of this passage and in the context of both letters, as we're going to take a look at. Remember, we're studying first and second Thessalonians kind of together you're going to find that he was not just referring to the fact that we're spared eternal wrath of God through faith in Jesus Christ, but I believe he's also referring to the wrath that is to come on the earth during the tribulation period. So what we're going to do is kind of lay that out a little bit tonight before we move on to chapter 2. All right, we see in Paul's second letter to them that he had taught them about the coming day of the Lord, which would begin at the tribulation period, and it's a time of God's wrath on mankind. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 7. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now, so you see, he, there are those who are saying, wait, we must be in the day of the Lord because they were experiencing suffering and persecution. And there are those who are saying the day of the Lord's already come. Remember how Paul said there was going to be a day of the Lord and a time of suffering? Well, it's here. And they were having a bellyache because they were like, well, didn't he teach us that we were going to be taken before the day of the Lord? So he goes on and he says in verse three, he says, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and you know what's restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So Paul, Paul's saying, hey, that day the Lord hadn't happened yet. That day the Lord's dealing with the Antichrist and all the things that I talked to you about. Do you remember I told you these things? So what I want to do is I want to take you back with me to the book of Amos. If Paul was teaching about the coming day of the Lord, he was going to be using scripture to talk about what it was that he wanted them to see. So go to the book of Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, look at verses 18 through 20. God says through the prophet Amos, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. It is not, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? 
Now, one of the reasons why God had to say this to the nation of Israel is, is they kept looking for the day of the Lord because there's lots of prophecies about the day of the Lord being a time of God ruling and reigning on the earth and in Jerusalem and peace and safety. Because the day of the Lord, if you do a full study of that term, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, you will find that the day of the Lord begins at the tribulation period and moves right into the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. Well, the Jews loved reading about the part, prophecies about the day of the Lord of the millennial kingdom, where the lion's going to lay with the lamb, and the nation of Israel is all going to be worshipped by other nations as they come to Jerusalem to worship Jesus. And, and they kept looking forward to the day of the Lord. And God had to say to them, look, the day of the Lord, you're not ready for it. And for many of you, it's not going to be a good time. Go to Isaiah 13. And Isaiah 13, look at verses 6 through 13. Isaiah 13, verse 6, says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Now, I think you all do realize that this day of the Lord is the tribulation period that he's talking about, isn't it? I mean, that parallels Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 6, how Jesus said that in Matthew 24, the beginning of the birth pains, like we see here, the time of a woman in labor, the beginning of the birth pains is going to be the Antichrist, and then the wars and rumors of wars, and the famines and the plagues and the earthquakes, and then it's going to be the Antichrist stepping into the wing of the temple and declaring himself to be God, nation of Israel. You better get out of Jerusalem and not of Judea, and you better run to the wilderness. I'm going to make mankind more rare than gold. Jesus said in Matthew 24, if those days weren't cut short, no human being would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those are going to be saved during that time period. The days will be cut short. On top of that, there'll be signs in the sun and the moon and all that. Folks, the tribulation period is the day of the Lord. That's why we see in our Bible, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament shows us that the last days began when Jesus came to the earth in the flesh. We're in the last days. We have been ever since the time Jesus came onto the earth. That's why Revelation says the time is near. Why? Because this is the last time period on the earth before the day of the Lord. Oh, the day of the Lord is going to culminate into the millennial kingdom, which will be a wonderful time. But the Setting up of the stage for the millennial kingdom is going to be God's wrath on mankind on the earth. Believers, like I told you in Thessalonica, were suffering persecution and some had told them that the day of the Lord had already begun. This bothered them because Paul had taught them that they wouldn't be here for the day of the Lord. Plus, because Paul taught of Jesus coming to gather his church before the coming wrath, some were concerned that church age believers who had died 
would miss this, and that's why Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We'll get to that later on in our study of Thessalonians. But if you remember 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, Paul talked about the rapture, and he said, we don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that God's going to bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him, and we who are alive are going to be caught up and go meet him in the air. Because they, were, they had been told that Jesus was returning. As, we, as I've told you before, Paul thought the return of Christ was going to happen in his lifetime. That's why he said, we who are alive. That's why he wrote 1 Corinthians 15. We won't all sleep. We'll all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye. And Paul was teaching them to be ready at any moment for the return of Jesus. And he was right to do so because the Bible teaches an imminent return of Jesus Christ. You don't know when. Not our job to do the math and try to figure it out because it's going to come when God says. And way to leave that alone. That's why in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, he says, Be patient until the coming of the Lord, brothers. And then he said this, Learn from the farmers. The farmers wait patiently for the early and the latter rains. In other words, if you know anything about farming, your responsibility as a farmer is that you're to prepare the soil, you're to plant the seed, you're to water the crop. And if any of you ever grew up on a farm, do you have any control over when the harvest actually comes in? No. Yet, we keep trying to figure out when the harvest is going to be. And God says to us, learn from the farmers. Do what you're supposed to do. You leave the timing of the harvest to God. In the same way, though, as Paul was teaching them to be ready at any moment, believers were starting to die. And that's why they started to say, well, we got a couple of problems. we got some people telling us, Paul, we're already in the day of the Lord because of the suffering. But you've also told us we're going to be taken before. Jesus is going to come back and take us before that time happens. And we've got brothers and sisters who are dying are they going to miss out on the rapture? And Paul had to tell them, no, they're actually going to be a part of it, too. He's going to bring them with him when he comes to get us. But because of all this, as we put the whole context together, we realize that Jesus is going to come back to gather his church prior to the day of the Lord, prior to the tribulation period. And that's why we're to look for Jesus, which is our blessed hope. Did you know the church wasn't ever taught to watch for the Antichrist? The Jews were told to watch out for the Antichrist. In Matthew 24, he's talking to the nation of Israel. That's why he says to them, pray that when you see the Antichrist do this and go into the temple, that, uh, you don't, that your flight trying to get out of there doesn't happen on a Sabbath. He went right into the church. We're not under Sabbath regulations. Colossians 2.16 says, don't let anybody judge you on whether or not you keep a new moon festival or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality has been found in Christ. Then he also told them in Matthew 24, pray also that when the Antichrist does this and you got to run for your lives, that it doesn't happen in the winter. And again, talking to the nation of Israel is going to be in one area there in Jerusalem and Judea. If he was talking to the church, it's going to be winter somewhere around the globe. Did he want the church praying against each other around on the other side of the globe, kind of like we hurricane people do when the hurricane's coming? Lord, send it to Jacksonville. He wasn't talking to the church. We are to be watching for Jesus. And listen to me, folks. The Bible's so clear, and I could spend the rest of tonight showing you this, but we got a lot more to cover. Jesus not only spares us from the wrath of God for eternity through our salvation, he spares us the wrath that's going to come on the whole world. Go world. Go to uh, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 13. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance... 
I will keep you from the hour of trial that was is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now, some might say, well, Jim, this was written to the church in Philadelphia. He promised them that they'd be spared the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world. That's not really for us. Well, did you read what I just read to you in verse 13? He wasn't here to hear, hear what the Spirit says to who? The church in Philadelphia? No, the church is. The plural, the churches. These promises are written for all of us. And so I want you to understand, he's promised to save us from the hour of trial. Will we experience tribulation in this life? Jesus said, yes, in Matthew 16, you're going to experience tribulation. That's a part of living in this world, especially being a Christian in this world. But the tribulation period, the day of the Lord, the time of God's wrath on mankind, when he's going to try the whole world, we will be spared that. And thank God for it. Go to Revelation 6. Look at verses 12 through 17. He, we've already talked about the other seals, and we've talked about paralleling Revelation 6 and Matthew 24. But look at verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became bl like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. We read in Isaiah that there's going to be an earthquake that shakes the whole earth off its foundations. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and the everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? And by the way, this isn't the end of the tribulation period. That's even still right around the middle. There's still another three and a half years of even more stuff. There's going to be trumpets and bowls. This is just the first six seals. Folks, let me tell you something. There's a wrath that's coming on the world. God's going to deal with the world. I think that's also why we as Christians shouldn't be so worried about trying to fix things here. We should be light. We should be pointing people to Jesus and sharing with them the truth. We should be using the privilege we've been given, given and voting here in America toward things of God. But at the same time, if we believe the word of God, the world's going to keep going toward this one world government. The world's going to keep going toward wickedness. It's going to increase. We've been not here to change America. We've been here to tell people about Jesus. And folks, I hate to tell you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't hate to tell you the truth, but I will tell you this much. Jesus said, narrow is the road that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. Yeah. And we as Christians have a tendency to get too caught up in what's going on in the world, and how can we fix it? Jesus said, I didn't tell you to go fix it. I told you to go be in it, and let me shine through you so I can call out a people for my own self, for my own glory. Now, of course, all believers of all ages will be spared God's wrath of eternity in hell. Bible makes this very, very clear. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, look at verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He's given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps maybe for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we are enemies, we're reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you remember how we read earlier in one of the passages how that time of the wrath of God, where he's going to judge the whole world and try the whole world? It said all those who live on the earth. If there's going to be a, report, a wrath of God poured out to all those who are on the earth and we're spared the wrath of God, we probably are not going to be on the earth then. Do you understand? Go to Revelation, sorry, not Revelation, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, folks, let me just encourage you with this. First and foremost, if you're in Christ Jesus and your sins have been forgiven and he's washed you clean and sealed you with his spirit, the wrath for eternity of God on man and their sin is they have to pay for their own sin and they receive the wrath of God for eternity. You've been spared that already. But there is a coming time. The Bible calls the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble is another time that it's described in that way. The time of trial that's going to come on the whole globe. I believe without question that the Bible teaches we will be spared that as well and taken out of here prior to that. And that's why 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, talking about the rapture, Paul ends it with this in verse 18. He says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. I can encourage you with the fact that if you're in Christ, he's going to come and take you to be with him before that time period comes. Will it get worse between now and then? Oh yeah, but he's gonna take us out. And you know, have you ever thought about what happened at the flood? The ark represents who? It's pretty clear, I hope you know who the ark represents. It's Jesus, right? They went inside and got in him. They were brought up above all the destruction and then they were brought back down to inhabit the recreated earth. That's what's going to happen to us. We're going to be taken while he judges the earth, and we're going to come back down with him in the recreated millennial kingdom. It's going to be pretty cool. By the way, during the flood, you probably know this, but if you don't, God reworked the whole shape and the whole face of the earth during that time period. Continents were shifted and moved and all these different things. The earth that it looked like before the flood didn't look like it afterwards. It had been reworked. In the same way, if you read your Bibles, he's going to rework 
the whole earth. What you see now and everything you know, if you want to go see Hawaii, go soon. Because <laughs> all the islands are going to disappear. All the mountains are going to be laid flat. The millennial kingdom actually is going to look a whole lot different. And I was reading in a passage of scripture the other day, and I just saw something this last week that I've never noticed before. But at the end of the tribulation period, the Bible talks about how Satan's going to be released from the pit to come and tempt those who have been born during the millennial kingdom. And they came across, and the scripture says in Revelation, the broad plain of the earth. I had never, you ever thought about that, Warren? They all came across the broad plain of the earth to come to Jerusalem to fight against it. Of course, Jesus just destroys them with the breath of his mouth, but fire comes down from heaven. And, but listen, there were no mountains to cross. Everything had been flattened. Very interesting. I never noticed those words before, the broad plain of the earth. Now, let's go to chapter 2. I know you didn't believe we were going to get there, but we actually are there now. Chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Paul now continues he says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. We're going to stop here and pull the rest of our stuff for tonight from these verses. If you remember, we talked a little bit earlier in chapter 1 how Paul had to do a little bit of a defense of his ministry. And he says, you remember how we were among you? Well, he goes on now a little bit more. He continues his defense of their ministry while they were with him. It appears that they were being accused of being in the ministry for all the wrong reasons. Power, deceit, greed. If you remember, they, he said, we were shamefully treated in Philippi. Remember how they were accused and they were thrown in the cell and beaten and the jailer and his family get saved. And then they were asked but to there to leave. They went on to Berea and then from there they went to, uh, sorry, Thessalonica. Then they went to Berea. But everywhere they went, people would come and chase them out. And Paul says, listen to what he says. He says, our appeal, verse 3 our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He says, we didn't do this with flattery, nor the pretext for greed. God is our witness. There are, by the way, and you probably already know this, so I don't have to spend a lot of time on this. There's a lot of people that are in ministry for power, <coughs> deceit, and greed. They're out there. Now, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later on, so just hold on to that for now. Peter actually warned the elders that he was writing to in 1 Peter. Go to 1 Peter 5. He warned the, the, the elders he was writing to to beware of falling into these temptations and traps. 1 Peter 5. 
Look at verses one through four. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. By the way, the term elder also could be translated pastor, overseer. They're all interchangeable. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Why did Peter say, hey, by the way, don't do it because someone made you. Do it because you feel called of God and you're willing to obey. Don't do it for money and don't do it for the authority that you have, because those are all temptations. Paul himself writing to Philemon about Onesimus said, I could, as an apostle, command you to take him back. But I don't want you to do it because I've used my authority and forced you. I want you to do it out of your own heart. We who are in leadership, those of us who have been called to preach and to teach have been given a responsibility. That's why first James chapter three, verse one says, not all of you should seek to be teachers because those of us who teach are being judged in a stricter judgment. But along with that comes an authority. The Bible actually says, respect those who are over you. First Thessalonians five, verse 12, respect those who are over you in the Lord and hold them in high regard because of their work. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders. We are to have an authority that God has given us to lead and to shepherd the church. Yet, we're never to use that authority to be the one controlling people. We want you to learn how to follow Jesus. By the way, it even says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, that those who are the elders that serve well are to be worthy of double honor, especially those whose role is preaching and teaching. Oh, and by the way, that doesn't mean give them a parking space. That, if you look at the context, it says make sure they're paid well. Don't muzzle the ox. The whole context of the scripture makes that clear. As much as the scripture says the churches and the church people should be making sure that their pastors and their leaders and their overseers are taken care of financially, the Bible also says those of you that are in authority and our preachers and overseers never be in it for the money. That's why I thank God for those that support our ministry the way they do, because we can go to churches and we don't charge a nickel. We went to a church just this past weekend. We got nothing. And we're fine with that because that's the deal we have with that church. They're small. They don't feel like they can afford anything. And they're like, we, we just feel really bad that someone like you would come. I'm like, it's the word of God. I'll come preach it. I paid for all of my own meals. I actually took the pastor and his wife and daughter out to dinner and we paid for it and paid for our hotel and did all this stuff. And I can gladly come because you know what? Nobody can lead in that church say Jim Johnson is in it for the money. I'm not. But God is blessed with people supporting our ministry in such a way we can go. And actually at the church we had the week before, the pastor stood up and said, by the way, we're going to take a love offering for Jim and his ministry. But let me tell you something. Jim can tell you straight up he's not in it for the money because he does not charge. We tried to cover this, that, and he said, no, I got it. And know what Paul wrote? He said, I had the right. I had the authority to have you take care of us, but so that you wouldn't think we were in it for the money because that's what they were being accused of. Paul said, I became a tent maker and I served and we paid for our own stuff. Folks, I thank God that I get to preach the word of God free of charge. 
That's why we give all our books away. That's why we sell, don't sell anything. We, we pay shipping and handling. Our ministry is set up that way. Nobody's going to say Jim's in it for the money because we're not. But that's what Paul was being accused of. They also said that he was there to deceive them and his teaching was false. He said, you guys, you saw how we were. We weren't there to please man. We were there to please God. It also appears from Paul's letter here that some had come in after him and had, after he had left and tried to convince them that the reason that they were beaten and chased out of Philippi and chased out of Thessalonica was because they were mean bad guys who were there to take advantage of them. But Paul said again, think about our visit to you. We were gentle. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verses 3 through 8 again. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul said, yeah, we've been accused of a lot of stuff, but let me ask you a question. Is that really what you saw? By the way, you can live your life in obedience to God and, and purity. Does that mean you won't be accused of anything false? No, but Paul tells us in the New Testament here, he says, look, live your lives in such a way that even though you're slandered, they won't have anything to back it up. And I want to encourage you that way. This is not only for those of us who are in leadership, but also for all of us. Live in such a way that people don't question your motives. Will they question your motives? Possibly. But live in such a way that they have no way to back it up. There, unfortunately, are those, like I touched on earlier, who claim to be servants of Christ, but they're really in the ministry for their own benefit, not the benefit of the body. Some of you are old enough to remember this. I am slightly. There used to be, there used to be such a thing as pastor discounts. Do you remember that, Charlie? You used to go golfing and, pardon me while I might wipe my nose here. You would go golfing and, and certain golf courses would have a pastor's discount. I used to get that when I was pastor in Chicago. There was a really nice golf course up there, Cog Hill, where they used to have the Western Open PGA Tour. They wouldn't let us use the pro course, but the one right next to it, which was very nice, they had a pastor's discount. It was very helpful, especially when I was young in the ministry. Didn't have a lot of money. But you know why there's no more pastor discounts? Because people automatically started going online and getting a degree as the, in the title reverend from certain online universities. And they got a little card in the mail that says that they were reverend so-and-so. And they would bring their little reverend so-and-so card to get the pastor's discount everywhere they went. Doctors used to give pastor's discount. Dentists used to give pastors discounts. There used to be a respect for the clergy and ministry and people in ministry and businesses would give a discount. But everybody wanted to get the discount. And so they got a little card that says they were reverend. That's why I hate it when you call me reverend. I'm just Jim. I don't call you Sunday school teacher. You know, I don't call you parking lot. I don't call you sound man. Actually, I do behind your back. Sound man. But no, I, uh, I thank God 
we're just family. We're just family. And don't be doing something for the accolades. By the way, when I was in Haiti, this is back in 2001, I went and did a pastor's conference. And to be honest with you, I was a little surprised because a lot of the guys that were at the pastor's conference weren't even saved. And it was obvious that they weren't saved. So I asked somebody, I said, can you help me out a little bit here? Um, how come we got a lot of guys that are pastors of churches, but it's obviously they don't, they don't know the Lord. They don't know the, they don't even have a Bible. They said, well, we got a problem here in the Haitian culture. The Bible says that the church is supposed to take care of the pastor. And so a lot of guys, because they can't find work, become a pastor. Because now the church has to take care of them. And they love the attention. Isn't that what the Pharisees were doing? They loved to be called rabbi. They would dress and walk in a certain way. They loved the attention. Go to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Jump over to Jude. Look, book of Jude, verses 3 and 4, and then verses 10 through 16. Jude, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now jump down to verse 10. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones, ten thousands of his holy ones, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism 
to gain advantage. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. It is a temptation to read and believe your own press clippings. One of the problems that sports figures deal with nowadays is everybody wants to praise them and it feels good. But they also keep reading. And there are others who will love to tear you down. You know what they tell people nowadays online about the comments? Don't read the comments. It won't do you any good to hear the good stuff because it'll make your head big. It won't do you any good to hear the bad stuff because a lot of that stuff isn't true, but, you know, it's out there. In this world in which we live, we should keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus and listen to what he says about us. That's why God, Paul, when he was writing, says, God's my witness. God tests our hearts. What I'm sharing with you is not a lie, and I'll say that right now in front of God because he's the one who's examining me. Folks, we have a tendency, all of us, not just those of us in leadership, but there's, we have a tendency in, for all of us to want to be loved by everybody. You're not going to be. I just want my family to respect me. You're not going to be. It's just the way the Bible says it is. If you're in Christ and you've got family members that aren't, don't be surprised if they don't understand. Don't be surprised if they think you're crazy. How are we to treat them? We're to love them. We're to continue to offer them grace. But we're to stop trying to be more concerned with how they feel than what God says. And this is a, that's a hard balance. Again, Paul said we could have demanded as apostles of Christ, but we didn't. We had that authority. I mean, good grief. Paul's writing the Bible. God speaks through him. But he didn't take advantage of that. Oh, and as we already saw and here in Jude, there are plenty of people who will gladly fall prey to false teaching because it lines up with their flesh. Go back to Jude again. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation... I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For, true, for certain people have crept un, in unnoticed, who long ago excuse me, were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, in 2 Timothy 4, go to 2 Timothy 4, he said there's going to be people that come and they're going to get a lot of followers because they tickle people's ears. Go to 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. And teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Isn't that interesting? Something just jumped off the page at me as I was reading this. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Are we not in those days now? 
See, back in the day, it wasn't that easy to accumulate teachers, but now it is. Just hit search. Just get, hit Google. And there's everybody out there that wants to be a teacher now. They don't even have to be accredited. They don't even have to be ordained or examined or vetted. There are now all these teachers of the Word of God. And how are you going to know who's real? You need to know the Word of God. You need to know the Word of God. And there are going to be people out there that are going to say things that sure make sense, and it feeds your flesh, and it matches up with kind of how things in the world work. And there are going to be people that are led astray by that. But true under-shepherds will point you repeatedly to God and His Word. Not them and their formulas for the Christian life. I'm not saying that people that do this are wrong, so don't hear this this way. But when God called me into this traveling ministry, I immediately did not want to name the ministry after me. I did not want it to be Jim Johnson Ministries. That's why we named it Just a Preacher. It's not about me. It's about him. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 11 through 16. And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, listen, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Remember, feeding the sheep until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into who? Him, Christ, who is the head, into Christ. Don't miss that. And then from him from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Folks, if you have been taught by me for years and you are easily led astray to the latest doctrine, quote unquote, I haven't done my job. My job is to point you to Jesus and to his word and to feed you with his word so that through the spirit and the word of God, you can recognize truth from error. First John four, verse one says we're to test every spirit to see whether or not they come from God. There's not many false spirits out there. People who claim to speak for God, they'll even quote Bible verses. Satan could do that. But that's why I give you so many verses. I want you to know the whole of scripture, build your doctrine from the whole of scripture so that you will be able to recognize truth from error. But our job, and this is what you need to be looking for, are they pointing me to Jesus? Or are they telling me to follow their seven steps to the Christian life? Or to buy my book? If you just follow my program. No, Paul said, imitate me as I follow Christ. He wasn't saying, be like me. He was saying, imitate how I live my life, which is following Jesus. You follow Jesus. Go to Acts chapter 20. 
verses 28 through 32. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32. Paul's talking to the leaders in the uh, the Ephesian church. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves. I love that. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. We can't shepherd you unless we're where we need to be in our walk with the Lord. But then he said this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Did that happen everywhere he went? Of course. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Hang on for a second now. He then goes on and explains, I didn't covet anybody's money. I didn't covet anybody's gold or clothing or anything. I I wasn't in it for the money. All the things I'm being accused of, again, he says, I didn't do. Paul said, watch out, there's going to be people that are going to come in to have you become followers of them. Now, it's at this point, if you get a pen and paper out, I'm going to give you the names of all the false teachers. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed, because if I did that, I'd be going against everything that I've been saying tonight. I'm supposed to point you to who? To Jesus and to his word. And that will take care of you. Beware of those who make their ministry by pointing out all the other false ministries. Do you understand? There's lots of people that love to name names and say, well, don't follow that guy. Don't follow that guy. This guy's us. And we all go, oh, just tell me who to follow. And you become a follower of that person. Do you understand? Oh, and by the way, don't make it your ministry either. To root out the false teachers. All the Bible tells us to do is watch out for them. You'll recognize them by their fruit. It doesn't say then get a whole group of people and get a petition and get them off the air. No. We're going to try. If we try to weed the wheat out among the the weeds out among the wheat. What are we going to do? We're going to do damage. Because they're going to be those who are preaching and they're not one of us. So. But they actually might be one of us just because they're not part of our denomination or our group or whatever. Do you know what? There are preachers out there that parts of their doctrine I don't agree with at all. But you know what? When they come on the radio, because I know they believe the truth of the gospel, even though I may not agree with them when it comes to end times or how salvation works or different things like that, I don't turn the radio off and say, well, I'm not going to listen to that guy. He doesn't agree 100% with me. I listen. You know why? Because I know that person is a believer. I know they're striving to preach the word of God. And I know the spirit of God may have a word for me through them anyway. I'm going to say something to you that's going to not surprise anybody at this table. (laughs) I don't have it all figured out. My understanding of the word of God is increasing and growing. And there are some messages I used to preach that I would go back and say, I hope that's not online anymore. You know, 
When I was a young preacher in this church here, First Baptist in the Atlantic, back in the late 80s, I was a youth pastor. And I preached a whole sermon from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, about how Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And my premise of my sermon, because I was convinced I was right, the premise of my sermon was if you were around the deathbed of someone that was about to die, and that person on the deathbed said to you, everybody gather around, these are my last words for you, would you not pay attention to what that person was going to say? And then I told everybody, folks, these are the last words of Jesus. It wasn't until later on that I realized Jesus said Matthew 28 in Galilee, on the mountain in Galilee, he ascended from the Mount of Olives, which is in Judea. Matthew 28 wasn't the last words of Jesus. That's when he was teaching them and 500 were there. He continued to teach them for 40 days. And at the end of that time period, he ascended. He didn't ascend from Galilee. He ascended from Judea. But you know what? No one said anything. My whole premise was not even matching up with the word of God. But I also thank God because I'm sure there were some in the room who knew, yeah, that little uh, 21-year-old doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm actually 23 at the time. But they love me. And they let God get me to where I'm supposed to be. There might have been people that had no clue and walked out of there saying Matthew 28 was the last words of Jesus because Jim said so, but they would have been wrong. But I'm also sure there were some godly, older Christians in the room who thought, God will get them there. By the way, don't be one of those people that has to be right all the time. I was speaking recently somewhere, I'm not going to say where. And a lady came up to me and she said, what kind of Bible do you use? And I said, well, I'm, it's people ask that all the time. They say, what translation? I told them, I'm using the ESV. She goes, there's problems with that. You shouldn't be using that. She was happy that she said that and then left. Don't be one of those people. Point people to Jesus. Share his word. And don't make it your ministry to decide who's right and who's wrong. But also be sensitive to the spirit when he says this isn't truth. Or this person may be preaching truth, but their life doesn't match up with it. I'm glad Ray comes every week, except the weeks he doesn't come. <laughs> but you know, me and Ray go play golf afterwards on Wednesday mornings, right after Bible study. We're going to go to bed, and then tomorrow morning we're going to play golf together. I thank God that Ray keeps coming. Hopefully Ray sees the same thing out on the golf course that he sees here while I'm teaching the Word. Folks, I want, to, I want you to be one of those people that your yes is yes and your no is no. And you yourself, not just the preachers and teachers, you yourself point people to Jesus and to his word and believe that the word of God and the spirit of God is able to get them where they're supposed to be. One of the problems in the church today is everybody wants to be a teacher and everybody wants to be 100% right and everybody's attacking each other in the process. How did Paul say it? He said, I was gentle with you as a nursing mother. And by the way, does the Bible, what does the Bible say about setting ourselves up as the judge on who's right and who's wrong? Be careful. Only God truly knows people's hearts. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. We'll wrap up tonight here with the last couple of passages. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 6. 
1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul says this. He said, this is how one, and not by the way, as I go into this, remember, he's writing to the church that's saying, well, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, that's Peter, I follow Christ. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. But I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. Don't follow man. But God uses man to teach and to preach. Recently, I met a man. Actually, Ray introduced me to him. And he played golf with us. And I asked him his testimony. It was obvious he was a believer. And actually, he didn't get saved till later in life. Shared his whole testimony. And I mean, this guy's walking with the Lord. He's actually going to seminary now to get a further degree. And he wants to teach young people biblical worldview. I mean, this guy's for real. And as he shared his testimony, he talked about how he got saved through the ministry of someone that I think is not a good teacher. I think he teaches false doctrine. But God used him. It was a very humbling thing for me. I didn't say to this guy, well, I don't think you're saved then. Because it's obvious he was. Would I recommend everybody to go to that other person's church where this guy gets saved? Probably not. But you know what? God humbled me a little bit and said, I'll use whoever I choose. I can use a donkey if I have to. I can use Balaam, who was in it for the money. I'll deal with everybody's hearts. I'll deal with everybody's motives. I'll deal with everybody when it's time. Stop setting yourself up as the one who's deciding who's right and who's wrong. Yet at the same time, be sensitive. And if I tell you, don't listen to this teaching, don't listen to that teaching. Do you understand? Go to James. Chapter 5. We've been kind of dancing around it. We'll close with it tonight. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Amen to that. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge. You see how that's a capital J? is standing at the door. Follow Jesus. Know his word. Let his spirit show you how to recognize truth from error. But don't put yourself in the place of judge of whose hearts are right and whose hearts are wrong. Recognize truth. Avoid error. Don't go in the ministry of rooting out the people that are the phonies. And humble yourself and say that God could even speak through someone who doesn't know him. Because God's able to use whatever he needs to get us his truth. I love you.
We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.